This is the FS Tech Podcast. Welcome to the FS Tech Podcast. I'm Hannah McGrath, the editor of FS Tech, and today we're going to look at some of the key challenges for financial services firms in safeguarding employee communications and preventing data breach in the digital workplace. The shift to remote working has triggered an explosion of digital communications challenges for financial services firms and a corresponding surge in the data privacy risk. As employees send millions of emails and messages across digital collaboration platforms, financial institutions are in a race against time to protect their systems, employees and reputation from the devastating consequences of a data breach. However, while much of the data privacy focus for FSIs centers around securing endpoints, the shift to cloud and boosting cybersecurity measures, research shows that over 90% of data leaks are caused by human error, with emails sent to the wrong recipient, one of the most common ways a company can expose itself to risk of GDPR non-compliance and cybercrime. And as the regulators step up scrutiny and dish out eye-watering fines for breaches, Many FSIs are fighting an uphill battle to improve employee awareness of the potential costs of making a mistake. To combat this challenge, many firms are turning to automated data privacy platforms, which use AI and machine learning to scan emails and digital communications for compliance before they are sent with real-time warnings, which can prevent sensitive information from ending up in the wrong hands. So to delve further into these challenges and some possible solutions in digital communications risk, I'm delighted to say I'm joined by Rick Goode, who is the Chief uh, Information Officer at Secure Communications Provider Ziver. Uh, welcome to the podcast, Rick. Uh, it's great to have you here today. Likewise. Thank you very much. Great. Um, so I'm just going to dive straight into the questions. And our first question is, how has the shift to remote working changed the communications security threat landscape for FS firms in the last year? Yeah, well, a good question. And, and the answer is on a couple of dimensions. So I think everybody has seen the rush into digital communications since last year. However, because of the speed we had to do the transformation in, typically business continuity was seen more important than actually having a thorough investigation around business requirements and around uh, security, which has typically led to well, two types of phenomenon. People rushing to the cloud, thinking everything was secure, but then suddenly see themselves now confronted with some additional challenges they didn't appreciate yet uh, at the moment of, of transforming, including who has access to my data, who has my keys, where is the data stored, that type of, of challenges. And the second one is if you rush into something new that always comes with changing uh, of people's behavior. And every time that people have to change the behavior, they are prone to errors. So if you ask people to change the way of working by using a portal, using a different type of communication, uh, your, your cyber risks in terms of people making errors will significantly increase. And that's also what you see in practice, uh, more data leaks reported than ever because changing people's behavior is a ingredient to uh, errors and cyber risks. Absolutely. And, and I mean, you mentioned that obviously changing behaviours and changing technology resulting um, in, you know, increased risk. Um, what are the best strategies for improving employee awareness of data privacy breach and cybersecurity risk? Yeah, so typically organisations apply that six month security awareness campaign where they send you a phishing mail and then see if you click it yes or no. And while that is to some extent effective, uh, research shows that if you have a multifaceted approach where it's not just a top-down measure like a phishing campaign, but also something that helps people on the job 
making better decisions. And that is more effective. So firstly, I have a PhD on decision support systems in specifically healthcare. If you help people at the point of decision-making by making them aware of sensitive information in their data while typing, for example, and if you combine that with the top-down strategy, that multifaceted approach is much more effective than, uh, well, the six months awareness campaign that typically after two weeks, people already forgot needs to be multifaceted at the point where people actually make their decisions and communicate. So ideally integrated into Outlook, into Gmail, into the systems that people uh, use on a day-to-day basis. Absolutely. And I think it's interesting that you yourself researched healthcare. Obviously, financial services firms have the same issues with highly sensitive data. Um, So yeah, really interesting to see how that's coming along in in sort of the FSI space. And so how are FSIs responding to changing regulatory and reporting requirements around data breach and cyber risk? We hear a lot about GDPR, obviously, um, but there are other risks as well that are being introduced at the moment. And how are FSIs dealing with those? Yeah, well, the answer is it varies a lot between uh, FSIs. You have the proactive FSIs and, and the more typically called the laggard type of organizations. Uh, but if you look at the proactive uh, organizations, for example, things that have been become aware in the last year since, for example, the invalidation of Privacy Shield or what's also called the SHRAMS 2 ruling, is that the European Commission concluded that if you want to use cloud vendors that are not European companies, that you should provide additional measures to, in order to protect your data. And they, for example, then advise companies to encrypt their data uh, before sending it to those non-EU vendors where only you have access to your own keys, which sounds logical, but it's something that is very difficult to do with the uh, cloud vendors nowadays, because if you uh, don't have people's keys, it's hard to deliver your service. But that is the only way to mitigate that. So you see that the proactive FSIs are looking for what Gartner calls email data protection supplements to uh, indeed uh, protect the data, encrypt your data without the vendor storing your data, having access to your keys. And that is, I think, a new trend that people see that the cloud is not secure by default. You can make it secure, as secure as on-premise, but that requires additional measures that are not part of the platforms like Office 365 and Gmail that organizations use now. So that encryption uh, is a typical trend that uh, you see happening now next to we need helping, of course, to prevent human errors, uh, because that additionally is also a trend that we become more aware of the fact that human errors are actually bigger threats to organizations than a fisher or a hacker. So I think those two uh, things. Yeah, absolutely. So data access and also, you know, tying into data governance issues as well. Um, So how are FSIs dealing with greater accountability for individuals for a breach? And how can new technologies help to tackle risks preemptively? Um, There's been a lot of focus in recent months on um, new legislation and regulations coming in, which basically places responsibility on senior managers and those who should be sort of operationally aware of cybersecurity um, and compliance risk. How are FSIs dealing with that? And, uh, you know, how, how are new technologies helping to manage those risks? Yeah, yeah, that, that relates to to also in your introduction what you said about the awareness on cybersecurity risks. Uh, that traditionally people think of uh, if they think of cybersecurity as a fisher, a hacker, a malware threatening your company. But need, if you look at ICO data on on reported data leaks in the country where I'm from, the Netherlands, uh, and for example Germany, those three countries combined, they have reported around two hundred thousand data leaks since GDPR, so a big number that allows us to look at what then actually went wrong in practice. And if you look at those data, as you rightfully stated, around 90%, so 90% of all those data leaks were not caused by hacking, malware, phishing, but were caused by employees inside your organization 
making a mistake, like the biggest one being the misaddressed email where you accidentally send something to the wrong henna. But also last week in the Netherlands, we had a very big data leak where a construction company sent an employee sent an Excel file where on worksheet B, there were so much sensitive information of all their customers, but the employee was just not aware of that fact. And so she exposed a lot of their sensitive data. It is putting people in the CC instead of the BCC. So we're getting increasingly aware that the weakest link is our own employees making mistakes. And that is where new technology can help in raising awareness can be done at the point of decision-making also preventing those type of errors can be done at the point of decision-making. If you put technology in place that can help your employees say, Hey, Hannah, you're sending now this type of sensitive information to Rick, but you've never shared similar information before with this Rick. Is this really what you mean? Or by telling you, Hey, Hannah, your attachment, a worksheet B contains a lot of credit card numbers. Are you sure you want to share that? And with those new technologies, allowing organizations to help their employees making better decisions, and that is the trend that you see in, in cybersecurity, not a black box gateway-based solution that works where nobody sees it. No, it is unlocking the human potential and co-decision-making in making uh, and uh, getting to better outcomes. That is the cybersecurity of the future. Sure. And, and just a sort of a supplementary question on that. Obviously, that's an automated process. I guess employee attitudes need to be sort of, uh, you know, in line with using those tools and using those prompts um, in order for this to work successfully. Yeah, it, it's, it, totally. And, but also that, that's, of course, where you see that some technologies say that they do what I just explained. But those are, for example, technologies that say, hey, Hannah, you're sending something outside of your organization it's your job to communicate with the outside world. So if you have that type of technology that is not sensitive and specific enough, and that will give you pop-ups, it will result into what scientifically is called alert fatigue, meaning that after a couple of emails, you will, you will be frustrated with the pop-up. You will not notice the warning again. So that is where the technology can actually make sure that the warnings and the suggestions are as sensitive and specific as can be in reducing false negatives and or false positives. But also it, the interference in people's workflow should be appropriate, meaning that you should not have a pop-up every time that you hit the send button. Uh, you should only have a pop-up if there's a vital situation that could have need, not, not have been uh, shown to the user in a different way. So for example, how our technology does it is while people are typing, integrated into the interface of, for example, Outlook and Gmail, we use color codes to preempt expectations and to make people aware we only use pop-ups if it's really necessary to need to have the appropriate interference of people's workflow. And that is where technology can be very successful or can fail because, uh, well, interfering in people's workflow when people don't understand why, that's uh, killing for innovation. Yeah, absolutely. And, and and I guess that there's an additional question there as well in terms of, um, I mean, we've discussed the proactive measures that the FSIs can take, but once you have those technologies in place, um, how do you guard against complacency um, when it comes to communication security? So as you mentioned, you know, there could be pop-up fatigue. There, how, how do you then sort of make it front and center of people's sense of their responsibility at work, um, that cybersecurity is, is part of their job and that they're on the front line? Yeah, yeah. That, that is the biggest challenge, yeah? but, but what we haven't discussed yet, but people should be aware of that user-friendliness and security should go in hand in hand, because if we place security over user-friendliness, people will find workarounds, they will use their own email, they will use their own tools, et cetera. So that is the responsibility of the company and decision makers to make sure that the tools they select are user-friendly. 
But if you're able to do so, you've suddenly come in a domain where you can call yourself what we call an enabler. So you do not frustrate people. You allow people in an easy way to work in a secure way. And by combining that with logging technology, you can identify, hey, but this employee is showing totally different behavior from somebody else. Well, maybe we should give that department where he's working on some more info on why we have those tools in place. Uh, so it is about offering somebody a reasonable alternative that is not disabling, but that is enabling. And that allows you to tell people and to, to call upon the responsibility. Yeah, because working with frustrating tools that are blocking, yeah, uh, you, you really cannot blame somebody then for just trying to do his job in an effective way. So if you find that balance between usability and uh, security, uh, then combined with logging, you can act upon telling people about the responsibility in a more effective way, because there is an alternative that they, for some reason, are not using. And that is where you can act upon. Yeah, absolutely. I think it's, it's really interesting as well that you can sort of pinpoint um, different business areas and even, you know, different individuals who are um, perhaps acting in a way that is not secure and not safe. Just before we wrap up the conversation, um, sort of tell me a bit about how Ziva would work in a, in a kind of workflow as well. You know, if, if an employee uh, was about to send an email, obviously people send millions of emails every single day, or let's say a message on, a, on Teams or Zoom. How would Ziva work in practice? What would happen on their desktop? Yeah, so, so we integrate fully in, in Outlook and Gmail and Office 365. And what we then do there is while people are typing, we classify real time what are they doing. So is it medical? Is it legal? Is it financial? Does it contain credit card numbers, M&A data, also inside your attachments? And we look at who are you sending it to? And with those two facts, we can basically do three things. Uh, uh, say, hey, Hannah, your attachment A, worksheet B, contains a lot of sensitive information. Are you sure you want to share that? We can warn you about potential wrong recipients, but also we can automatically activate the appropriate security measures without people having to click additional buttons based on the company policy. So actually before sending technology like ours helps employees to select the right recipient, the right content and the right security measures. Then during sending, we apply encryption, making sure that nobody else and sender and recipient can access your data. Again, sounding logical, but is something that Microsoft, Google, Mimecast, Egress, all those vendors cannot do because of course they encrypt, but many of them, most of them all ha also have your keys on their infrastructure, making them vulnerable to insider threats, attractive to hackers and subjective to governmental subpoenas. And after sending, we out of the box apply authentication, by which I mean that if you do a bank transaction, you have to prove that Hannah is really Hannah. And even if you install WhatsApp on a new device nowadays, you have to prove that you are really you with an SMS code, a, a token, an OTP code. But for some reason, if we use email, there's no way for the sender to make sure that only the intended recipient can access your data. We provide it out of the box and all that uh, with the possibility to retract messages and then also show you have, if somebody has read it, yes or no. So at least you know where your risks are and you can also mitigate the mistake. And together we supplement that on top of the tools that people already use. So you don't need additional hardware, you don't need additional software. And that's where we were positioned by Gartner in their last email data protection market guide as one of the five global representative vendors that they call an email data protection supplement. So we don't replace Office 365, we don't replace Gmail. We enhance it by filling those gaps, those security gaps that those tools still have, but without having your employees change their way of working. Because again, that's the most difficult thing to do, uh, uh, changing people's behavior. And that, that's when maybe my last sentence, that's why I always say, if you want to bring the communication of the future to people now, you need to disguise it as what people use now. And, and there I always make the resemblance with Tesla. 
saying if you look at the first Model S of Tesla, it even had a grill, which for an electric car makes absolutely no sense. And it looked like a pretty normal car, while it was certainly not the most sexy design. But the people at Tesla understood that they had to disguise the car of the future as the car of today, so people would know how to operate it, would know how to put it into day-to-day -day context, and would not require additional training. And that is the type of technology that we also bring to communication by disguising it as what people use on a day-to-day -day basis, allowing us by using different technology to solve the problems that are not solvable with normal email. But by disguising ourselves as email, we bring the, the communication of the future to FSIs and other organizations uh, uh, here and now. So uh, long answer to, uh, to, to your question, but hopefully that explains a little bit better on what our technology offers. No, that's great. I like the analogy there with Tesla. Right? I, I think you guys are sort of carrying out something like security by stealth. <laughs> yeah, so, exactly. Uh, <laughs> security by disguise or how you want to, yeah. Yeah. Um, so if our listeners want to find out a bit more about Ziver, um, where can we send them? Yeah, so, so uh, the, the best place to go to is probably our website. It's uh, www.ziver.com. It's Z-I-V-V-E-R.com. And there people can find uh, white papers, reference cases on the governments, the FSIs, uh, the, uh, uh, the all the big organizations we work with. But also feel free to reach out to me via LinkedIn or whatever they prefer. Brilliant. Okay, Rick. And um, thanks so much for joining us today. It's been great to have you on the FS Tech podcast. Awesome. It was a pleasure. Thanks so much. Thank you for listening to the FS Tech Podcast.